This is OpenYTO, a podcast that aims to share the experiences of QT BIPOC youth in navigating Toronto's sexual health and wellness resources. Through storytelling and dialogue, this podcast hopes to highlight the lack of information, the barriers to accessibility, and the lack of rep- representation from the QT BIPOC community in our mainstream healthcare system. For today's episode, we have the lovely Mame Dahir. Hello. So for our listeners out there who don't know who Mame is, uh, Mame is a policy analyst with the Mental Health of Black Canadians team at the Government of Canada. Uh, She's also a clinical research analyst at the Toronto General Hospital, where she is joining the team to investigate the barriers associated with African, Caribbean, and Black communities in undergoing kidney transplants and living organ donations. She's also a board of director, or she is, she is uh, a board of director on the Mental Health Without Borders team. And she's also the founder of the Power of Love Foundation Canada, a non-for-profit organization that provides resources and services to Black folks in Ontario. It's a very impressive list of accomplishments and a clear sign of your commitment to the community. So thank you very much for all your hard work and your dedication. I'm very humbled. Thank you, Hannah. Yeah, so um, I know that I kind of spoke really briefly, but is there anything that you wanted to touch upon in terms of the projects that you've done, anything that um, you think you'd want to share with our listeners? Okay, so first of all, I just wanted to say thank you very much to OpenYTO for having me today. I am extremely, extremely humbled um, humbled to be joining your team to share in some of my expertise, especially when it comes to BIPEC communities. Uh, I would say or start off by saying that most of my experience, especially in regards to projects and programs, have been with the Ghanaian community because I, for one, I am Ghanaian myself. Um, I was born and raised in Ghana, West Africa. And as a result, all my values and my experiences have been shaped by the community, the, the community that I, I was so blessed to, to have grown up in. Uh, so as a result of that, now with my academic expertise, my professional expertise, I also decided to start my own not-for-profit organization that will go to sort of mitigating and eliminating some of the issues that perpetuate my community, which was the Ghanaian community specifically. Although my not-for-profit is open to um, diverse populations and BIPOC populations and communities, I tend to have a a primary focus when it comes to Ghanaians because of the experiences and lived experiences I bring as well. So I should say those are just a little bit of my experiences that I carry. However, you know, I try to be very, um, how do I call it? Very, I'm a mixture of formal and informal. So if you don't find me working or doing anything academic, you would find me on every Tuesday evening at Toastmasters, Brampton North Toastmasters International, where I'm currently the Vice President for Public Relations. And that's my area, I would say my little hub where I used to hone my public speaking skills. And when I'm not doing that, I'm probably in my shower singing or try to create my own talk show which watch out, I definitely believe that it will come out soon in the next couple of years. But um, yeah, those are, fingers crossed. <laughs> those are some of the things I would say um, I'm quite interested. Could we interested. hear a snippet of your singing yeah. now? <laughs> I don't want to put you on the so I'm just joking if you're not comfortable. <laughs> but 
Oh, Hannah, what a good one. Like, if you have a YouTube account, we can plug that at the end of the podcast as well. You know what's funny? Um, so, about a year ago, my mm-hmm. friend asked me to sing at her wedding, and she's like a very big YouTuber in Toronto. And she was getting married, and she asked me to sing at her wedding ceremony. And when she released the full video of her wedding, it took me approximately maybe three, four months for me to disclose to everyone because I was so scared. I didn't want anyone to see the video. Like I was just, anytime she'll post it, I would try to like hide it somewhere. And it took a long time for me to come out of that bubble shell. So um, what do you want me to sing, Hannah? I'll sing for you, just for you. What do you want me to sing? Um, just whatever, <laughs> pretend, pretend that you're in the shower <laughs> Whatever you typically sing. Oh gosh, Hannah. Okay, you know what? Let's shelve it. At the end of the show, I promise you, my throat will be clear. I'll be more comfortable and I would sing. That's a promise. So just note that down. Um, so one <laughs> of your foundations I'm particularly interested in is the power of love. Do you want to speak a little bit more about uh, your foundation? Absolutely. I'm always excited when I get an opportunity to talk about my foundation. So as you rightfully said, the name of my organization is Power of Love Foundation Canada. And we are a grassroots initiative that is tailored to providing support, services and resources to Black Canadians in Ontario. Now, the reason why we chose Black Canadians was mainly because we strongly believe that even research and and with the things that are currently going on during this pandemic, Black communities are highly underrepresented. We are marginalized. We are racialized. And as a result of this, there needs to be um, a ton of support. And what better way to support my own community and give back to my community than creating my own um, organization. Now, it's not only just to create my own organization, but also I have lived experiences of it. One of the projects we recently did was the Ghanaian Single Mothers Project. And it was quite interesting because it wasn't until during our meetings that I actually realized that I actually have lived experiences of single motherhood where my own mother was a single mother. She raised me being a single mother. I lived firsthand and I witnessed firsthand the issues that perpetuated in our family just because of the difficulties that she had raising a daughter and raising a child as a single mother. So these and many more things, as I said, we are grassroots initiative and we have a ton of programs and activities planned just to support um, the black community so i'm really excited for that so if any organization out there wants to fund us we are entirely open for that (laughs) perfect also thank you mommy's mother for raising an excellent human being Thank you, Mommy. <laughs> um, so kind of uh, continuing on with that conversation. Um, so we recognize that, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately, members of the QT BIPOC community um, are at particularly high risk of violence, whether that's physical, sexual, or domestic violence um, due to the systems of oppression that kind of are in place here in Canada. Um, can you talk a little bit more to us about um, recognizing those um unsafe or unhealthy relationships and uh, how to navigate past them? 
Thank you so much for that question. I I highly this is a very sensitive topic that I hold and very I hold so dear to my heart. And the reason why I I really consider this to be a, a very dire um, aspect of, of public health is firstly, I actually just graduated with my master's in public health from the University of Toronto. And my main research had to do with domestic violence, especially with immigrant women. Um, Statistics shows that approximately one in every four women would die as a result of domestic violence, whether it be a physical, mental, harassment, um, sexual, to mention but a few. And without doubt, research also shows that the issues when it comes to sexual violence and any form of violence perpetuates mainly within the BIPOC um, communities. We see that there's a higher number of BIPOC individuals who are affected by, by um, diverse forms of violence. And without doubt, this issue that it continues to be prevalent in our society has actually been exacerbated during this pandemic. Permit me to share a story. During this pandemic, I did a fellowship with the Dalana School of Public Health, and it was a fellowship of journalism. So we had to create our own project. And the project I partook in or I took on was to do look at domestic violence during mm -hmm. COVID-19. One of the things I did was to consult diverse women's shelters, as well as uh, speak with diverse crisis helplines. I had the pleasure of speaking with one of the executive directors for a crisis helpline. And I was I was so heartbroken by some of the things she shared with me. And she stated that, I asked her, I simply asked her, I said, during COVID-19 has there been a lot of calls coming in to crisis helplines? And she said, no. And I was shocked because I was just like, during this time, you would assume that a lot of women who are or people who are in abusive relationships are being um, are calling crisis helpline, assault helplines to seek help. And she actually brought something to my attention that Hannah, after the conversation, I actually went back and broke down. Um, she said, you know what, mommy? we would not know the impact of COVID-19 on domestic violence victims until COVID-19 is over. And that alone took me back. I was silent. And she said, yeah, because think about it. The victim is in the house mm -hmm. with the perpetrator. She cannot leave. She does not. She's in a, in, a, in a situation where she cannot even call to seek help. By doing that, she herself is at risk. So think about that. And that completely shattered my heart to know that there are people out there who are enduring diverse forms of violence and ultimately they have no other avenue to seek help just because they are caged in this in their homes or anywhere they find themselves anywhere they, they, they find themselves with with the perpetrator. So I do strongly believe that there needs to be a lot of effective interventions to support um, people who are enduring any form of violence, especially people in the QT um, biopic community. And obviously we definitely have a long way to go with that. In your, your research when you're conducting, um, were there any, um, when you're speaking with the, the person from the women's shelter, the crisis um, hotline, mm -hmm. were there any um, resources or strategies that they 
gave you or that you came across that maybe some folks who are going um, through a form of violence that they can reach out to or seek support from? Absolutely. And interestingly, Hannah, I actually asked her this question. I said, okay, so we obviously cannot wait till COVID-19 is mm -hmm. over to provide help to these women. Like, we're going to witness an increase in number of people who might actually die as a result of domestic violence. Um, not to sidetrack from the question you asked me, but even during COVID-19, we realized that in London alone and in England, there was an increase in, in domestic violence deaths where I think there was one day where over 10 women died as a result of domestic violence. So we see that this is a serious, serious public health issue. It's a serious global health issue that requires dire um, intervention, that requires systems to, 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 to have um, effective solutions to support these women. Now, just to answer your question, I. Ideally, I asked the executive director of the crisis helpline and I said, so right now with the information you're giving me, it seems like this is a serious issue. Mm -hmm. What can we do to solve this problem? If someone has a family member who is enduring violence during this COVID-19, what can be done? I remember she was silent and she said, you know what? You have to be strategic and wise about how you're providing help to the victim because by you assuming that you're providing help to her you might actually be endangering her and putting her life at risk so she stated that what you need to do is um, create that atmosphere or that space where the victim feels that in case and it's so sad that she said this but in case things she feels like things are getting worse and she cannot endure anymore, that you as a family member or a friend or a loved one is always there to support her. Um, she advised that don't always be calling her to check up and say, hey, how are you, blah, 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 because that could actually worsen the situation for her and put her at risk. So what we can do as family members who have, who know people who are victims of domestic violence can just sort of reach out and say, hey, is there any way I could support you? Is everything okay? So doing occasional check-ins and letting the victim know that, um, hey, I'm here to support you. I'm here to help you. It's It goes a long way. Yeah, and definitely checking in with um, the person that you suspect is going um, through a form of violence, letting them Absolutely. reach up to you first. Um, because as you mentioned, That's it. you calling them, you're putting them at risk, but they themselves in the situation yeah. know when it's safest to call or to reach out. Um, so while there you go. we all want to be like heroes and heroines at the end of the day, um, letting mm -hmm. others know that you're there as a support and someone that they can turn to and that you're available for mm -hmm. them and let them make the call to you first um Absolutely. is one surprisingly is like better if not best way sadly it is yeah. sadly and i like the way you said you know sometimes we always especially people looking from the outside in we always want to be the heroes to save our friends and to 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 rescue them from from the the state in which they are in and that's absolutely okay. You can still find ways to rescue them. But sometimes, as you rightfully said, the victim 
oh, and this is so hard to say, but it's like the victim has to be the one doing the the help seeking. And at least if they actually stretch out their hands a little bit to say, hey, listen, I need your help. That's when you can jump in and support them because sometimes when you go being that superhero to want to save them, it could actually backfire. And this actually reminds me of a story that happened a couple of months ago. And anytime I think about this story, it literally breaks my heart. So there's this young, beautiful Ghanaian woman in the state. She's well-educated, professional woman. And her husband actually shot her in the head. And this was a few days after her family members had intervened and had had basically gone to the her ex-husband's house, I should say, to confront him. And there was an altercation that occurred. And I guess that altercation might have triggered the ex-husband who was already supposedly either abusive or non-abusive to actually go to her workplace and murder her at her workplace. This is a true life story of something that actually happened a few months ago. RIP Barbara told me, but this shows us the issue that we're facing when it comes to violence, even as women, as women and even, not even just women, but men also face domestic violence and the need for there to be rigid, effective interventions and solutions to support victims. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, oh, it's it's always difficult with these situations (laughs) because you you don't know what to do um but definitely if you are in a position where you suspect that someone is going through a type uh, a form of violence um and we'll we'll provide the listeners with a a link of resources that they can utilize after um but feel free to like reach out to services that um currently exist in toronto in the gta or whatever your community is um for seeking Mm -hmm. supports and guidance with navigating these situations I know um, some of the the training I've done through my programs, it's always been um, recognize, respond, and refer. And Mm -hmm. they they call those the three R's, and they specifically say those three Mm -hmm. R's, um, and they emphasize the refer one, because uh, when I was doing my training, I'm definitely not an expert in providing um, health or um, uh, helping someone escape a situation of violence. I'm definitely not an expert. Exactly. What we can do um, to support our friends is to recognize, to respond, to reach out to them, letting them know that, hey, we're there for you. And then when they do come to you, that you're able to refer them to the the proper and the specific resources that they need. I love that acronym. Recognize, respond, refer. I love it. I'll kind of like steal it a little bit if I can. It's it's not one that I created. I think it was also from like a UFT resource. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I I know that it's kind of difficult for someone who is in a position um, where, let's say, like they're already married to their spouse and they're going through mm-hmm. um, a form of violence. But is there any kind of like preventative measure that one can take? Whew. If he does it once, he's going to do it again. <laughs> but truthfully, and are we talking in the context of someone who is already enduring a domestic violence situation? Um, 
Yes. Because there's two types, you know, because there is the preventive measures where it's like, you know the signs before yeah. you even get involved in the relationship, like I guess in the marriage, you see the signs and you leave right away. And I guess when you get, you actually get into the marriage or the relationship and you become a victim, I guess at that point, it's not prevention anymore. It's more mm. like now finding a solution. Yeah, so I think I'm referring we can take... more, yeah, I'm referring more to like the, the signs, uh, like the red flags before uh, the relationship really gets off. You know what I speak? I speak of all the red flags and everything with all humility because I, for one, have not been a victim of domestic violence. Mm. So for me to, to state red flags, it would just be based on external information of things I've seen or things I've heard or movies I've watched and so on. Mm -hmm. So my my thoughts and my ideas might be external information. But the things I've seen, the things I've heard, it seems like the red flags start, how would I say it? It just starts off, sometimes it might not start off even being physical. It could start off from verbal abuse, mm -hmm. you know, the belittling, the talking down on you, the the making you feel like you're no one as a as a spouse, you know, it starts off sometimes there, and then as one tends to condone those verbal abuse, sometimes it could also transition now to becoming psychological and mental. Where although they are verbally speaking to you, it's taking a toll on your mental health. That alone, that alone for me is a red flag. I mean, why should you wait till he shoves you? So he pushes you, so he slaps you in the face to know that, okay, I might be in a in a bad situation. So I think just starting off from just the verbal abuse and knowing that verbal and, and abuse, which eventually becomes psychological and mental and emotional, that alone is your red flag. It's your red flag. So I, that's where I... I would say the reason why I'm being so careful about speaking about this aspect of the red flags is I have not been a victim myself. And I suppose that every other victim's um, journey or how they got even to the position where they were with this perpetrator is different, it's subjective. For some, it was it started off from verbal abuse. For others, the first time they experienced domestic violence was that actual slap or hit in your face or on your body and so on. So I guess it's very subjective for people. Yeah, it, it definitely is because it gets to the point where you, there definitely is like a power difference, like a power hierarchy. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to mm -hmm. feel free to like seek um, or like feel free to, yeah, like seek support or resources from those around you, whether it's like speaking to a friend that you trust and letting them know like, hey, this is what happened, speaking to a family member that you trust, informing them of what had happened or um, going anonymously and reaching out to like a crisis hotline. Because um, mm -hmm. I think it's when we have those doubts and then later we try to convince ourselves no it was okay it's just like a minor thing or like i was the one who brought this upon myself like, what, exactly you have exactly those kinds of thoughts um mm -hmm. reach out and just get um support right even if you think it's a minor thing um i agree because really that's 
kind of the only way that at least I know of that we can at least recognize, identify, and possibly find an escape out. Or I agree. Um, to have that conversation with your partner and just letting them know like, hey, I'm not okay with this and this that you've that you've done. Let's talk absolutely and how we can move along. Because exactly. You're like we don't want to also make your partner kind of like the villain because sometimes there are some folks that generally don't know how hurtful their words are or don't know that they're um saying or doing things um in a hurtful manner until you have a conversation provided that mm. you can't have a safe conversation with them that's Obviously, right that's there are right. some things that are inexcusable and you can't exactly. speak to your partner um exactly but if it's someone that you want to continue having a relationship with, um, seek out the sports, feel or seek out the sports, learn how you can best approach or have that difficult conversation. And maybe right. bring, like a third party or someone that you trust just to be, um, to make you feel safe in that situation. Exactly. I agree. I agree. <laughs> yeah. So um, continuing back to your research, because you, um, Conducted your research specifically for um, so it was a research proposal. It yeah. was a research proposal, yeah, because my program based, so we don't do research. So it was like a research paper that I did mm -hmm. for for my, I guess it was an assignment <laughs> that I was supposed <laughs> to hand in. And yes, I really honed in on domestic violence amongst um, immigrant women in the Greater Toronto. Um, in your research, did you come across um, any resources that you'd like to recommend um, for anti-BIPOC youth to um, to visit, to check out? Okay, so I, because it was a research proposal, I didn't really come across any, like, resources that were, that would support um, victims of domestic violence, especially for BIPOC youth. However, I feel I believe during this pandemic there was a circulation of a Google Docs page, which when I find I will share with you of all the crisis helpline and youth helplines that um, that a lot of teens can use. And I really think that a few months ago, and I stand to be corrected, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau um, funded a lot of um, teen helplines to help and support them during, especially during this this crisis period. So I do believe that all those resources, although they're not, um, and I elaborate on this, they're not the ideal solution to it, at least it could temporarily support or help any um, BIPIC teen or QT BIPIC teen who is enduring or going through or has experiences with domestic violence, especially during this period. Yes, yeah, there are um, two, I believe are Somali, Somali Canadians that, if we're thinking about the same document, um, there were two Somalian Canadians that um, kind of compiled a list of resources and they packaged it all um, into a one doc PDF. Um, I think so. I think so. I think so. Yeah, so we can also provide that for our listeners. Sounds um, good. <laughs> recirculate that because that document was um, really informative and it's not mm -hmm. just restricted to uh, the Toronto and the GTA area. It has resources from all across uh, Canada as well. And mm -hmm. um, I believe it's also catered and specialized. So if you are looking for something that's specific to um, reaching out for someone to talk about um, Q, uh, QT health or for BIPOC health or for QT BIPOC mm -hmm. health, um, there will be mm -hmm. that speak upon those different areas as well. Definitely. 
get specific support in. Do you think that there are any gaps or anything that like our city is kind of missing when it comes to supporting victims of violence? You know, just to first of all start, I think just our city, but in general, there are a ton of gaps um, universally and in different healthcare systems that are very limiting when it comes to supporting sexual violence victims. Um, I and and I, I should say some of the gaps are the fact that crisis helplines are just being seen as the short term um, solutions to support victims of sexual violence. We know that sexual violence normally tends to occur on a continuum where it could be at either at one time or it could be from chronic to severe events. So I really think that some of the gaps are sort of the long term. Um, long-term systems or long-term um, resources that can be provided for victims, however that looks like, whether it be that organizations are coming together to find active solutions. And I, I really think that one of the major gaps is just finding the long-term solution to it. Because the short-term could be I can call a crisis helpline if I'm a victim and seek for help. But the question is what happens after? after I seek help and I leave, what are some of the resources that can support me? Let's say perhaps if the victim had a spouse that they lived with, how do I pick everything up and move on? What are some of the financial resources that is gonna support me? How do I move on and live my life from that? So there's an amalgamation of so many things that uh, I strongly believe that are gaps in our systems that uh, the government or even, not even just the government, but our communities and organizations ought to implement um, long-term solutions that will help to mitigate um, the, the, the issues that are the gaps that are found with sexual violence support. Yeah, and I know that your Foundation Power of Love um, has the Single Mothers Project, correct? Mm-hmm, we do, we do. Mm-hmm. Um, are you offering any supports out of that project for? Um... Good question. <laughs> you know, we just started, we actually started this year. So mm-hmm. we are still building on. I do strongly believe that because I really have a passion to support domestic violence victims. It will be something that I'm, I'm looking into. Um, I actually was pondering on starting off this year, but, you know, COVID and everything. So I have mm-hmm. decided that, you know, as time goes on, absolutely, I will definitely have a program or something that um, is tailored or activity that is really tailored to supporting um, women who are victims of domestic violence. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course, like <laughs> with the, the connections that you have and the research that you've done, uh, I have no mm-hmm. doubt that you're going to create a wonderful resource. Um, Thank you, Hannah. Thank you. With the, that comes out of that project. So all the Thank best you to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Um, so in our conversation, we kind of spoken about a lot of different topics. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any um, takeaways or kind of your three big takeaways that you'd like uh, listeners to really focus on when they listen back to this episode? Key takeaways from listening back that I want my listeners, I should say, to take away from it is it's detrimental to undermine the effect 
of violence. You know, some of us like to just shove it under the rug and just say, you know what, it's okay, I will endure it. No, it's very detrimental to your health. It's detrimental to your life and not only to your health and to your life, but to the very people that are around you. Sometimes I think that because we are not so much concerned about ourselves, we forget that our very own families, our friends, our loved ones are also being affected by what we ourselves are enduring. So I think that it's very important that we bear in mind that please, there are systems there, there are resources there that are available to help you find one that works best for you and get out of that situation, if not for you, but for the sick people that look up to you, for the sake of your child, for the sake of your parents, for the sake of your very family, who might be grieving for years, just to get over the fact that they wish they could have helped you just to 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 also help them not live a life of guilt because i feel as if that's what happens god forbid you pass on because of your experience with violence now your family members have to carry on that burden of guilt feeling that maybe there could have been something they could have done to solve the issue so I would say one of the biggest takeaways is please seek help. There are a ton of resources out there to help you seek that help so that another family would not have to bury another loved one. Yeah, and just touching upon that guilt piece as well. Um, if you recognize that you're experiencing a form of violence, don't mm-hmm. place the burden of guilt on yourself that like I've caused Absolutely. this, I did something wrong. Yeah. There is no like you did not create the situation, right? Mm-hmm. Whoever is um, directing that form of violence towards you, they're the mm-hmm. ones that fault. And you should never That's right. saying like, oh, I didn't do this properly. Or I didn't say this properly. Um, mm-hmm. No, you are never the, you are never the cause of your situation. You're simply a victim in the situation. And there are Absolutely. You, loved ones around um, you who want Absolutely. to help you. Um, Absolutely. So please do not place that burden on yourself ever. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Um, so hopefully um, through this conversation and hopefully through this episode, um, anyone who is listening, uh, to anyone who is listening, um, hopefully you have um, better insights as to how you can approach conversations regarding mm-hmm violence with your peers, with your friends, with your loved ones, Um, or if you yourself are in a position of violence, um, we will leave some resources for you to seek out um, to receive support on navigating uh, through that situation. But thank you so much, Mame, for coming on this episode. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. We Thank really you. appreciate you taking the time of your day. Um, and for Thank any of our listeners who want to connect with you and to keep up with your, your awesome journey, um, where can they find mm-hmm. you? Okay, so first and foremost, thank you very much for having me. I think this was a great, great conversation. Thank you to all the team of OpenYTO. You guys are doing a phenomenal job. Keep up the good work. So just to add on, uh, if you want to connect with me, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. My name there is Mame E. Dehir or just Mame Dehir. I tend to change my name all the time, but (laughs) <laughs> when you just see mommy and you see the here just feel free to connect shoot me a message and oh you can also follow me on instagram my instagram is mommy.dehir and my twitter i don't go on twitter a lot will i even know what my twitter username is but i think it's along the lines of mommy.dehir 
D-E hyphen H-E-E-R. That's what it is. So just feel free to connect with me on those social media platforms. And that is the end of the episode. Thank you all so much for listening. If you'd like to connect further with Mame, you can connect with her on LinkedIn or follow her on Twitter at Mame underscore Dahir, M-A-A-M-E underscore D-E-H-E-E-R. If you want to stay updated on the podcast and be notified as to when we release our next episode, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at OpenYTO. As well, if you enjoyed the music, be sure to follow Sophia Fly over at DJ Sophia Fly. Finally, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave a review and rate us. But other than that, we will see you in the next episode. Stay tuned and peace.